You're listening to the Meeting Midway Podcast, a podcast of Midway United Methodist Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, featuring Pastor Jenny Andoni and Pastor Amanda Lane. Over the course of the podcast, we'll hear how the church relates to the real-world issues that matter to you and how God loves us all. Now, let's meet Midway. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Midway United Methodist Church. Are you all ready to have a good time today? Stand up. Let's worship, y'all. Clap your hands. Help me out. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. In the beginning, God made everything. He spoke and the world came to be. He set a foot and made everything new. He parted the sea, let his people walk through. He helped the boy bring a giant right down. Joshua marched the walls fell to the ground. These acts of power are worthy of praise. But he is so mighty, nothing my God cannot do. God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Though we are sinners, He still gave us worth. God sent His Son to live here on earth. He healed the sick, He made blind men see. He let the lame walk and He set the world free. He went to heaven and He's coming back. God's word is true. with us and share the live feed for us. Just a couple quick announcements about what's going on in the life and ministry of the church. We hope that you'll join us in these um, great opportunities. 
First of all, we are hoping to fill this crate that's in the back of the sanctuary. We are hoping to fill it with formula. Um, this is for Venezuela now, and it will be distributed, the formula will be distributed at the Methodist Clinic in Venezuela. Um, you can get any type of formula, infant formula, bring it in any time during the week. Um, now, Morgan and I and Pastor Jenny, we issued a challenge a couple weeks ago. If we fill that crate with formula, we will be pied in the face. Now, we thought you guys wanted to see something like that. Apparently not, because I, I hear a yes over here. So, so what we need you to do is go out today and get some formula so we can start filling that crate, make sure um, that, that there is a pieing that will happen soon. Um, we will host three general conference information sessions on September 26th, October 3rd, and October 10th at 3 p.m. We hope you can make it to all three of those events. Check your midweek, your email, for more information about those events. And finally, our 5K for missions is coming up on October the 9th. I hope you've signed up to participate, but if you hadn't, haven't, there are forms, there are flyers out uh, front. You can take those and uh, fill it out, sign up today, or you can go online and sign up. Now, some of you might be saying, I'm not a runner. I'm not going to sign up. I don't need to sign up because I don't run. Well, we have the perfect be a ghost runner and you still get a t-shirt. <laughs> so it's like you ran the race. So go ahead, sign up for either of those and help us support Family Promise of Forsyth County. We are so glad that you are here this morning to be with us and to worship God with us. Would you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you for bringing us here this morning together to worship you. And Lord, I pray that our worship would be found beautiful just for you. God, be with us today as we sing your praises and as we glorify your name. Lead us and guide us and send us out honoring you. In your name we pray. Amen. for all 
Jenny and Miss Susan to come up. We now, you all may be seated. Uh, we now, we have the special privilege this morning to um, give Bibles to our third and fourth graders. So if you um, are in third or fourth grade, would you come up and bring your parents or your grand? All right, this is a good-looking group of kiddos and their parents. Um, this is a special time in the life of our children when they can receive their Bible from the church. And we have a special way to send you, uh, send it, to, give it to you this morning. Um, we will present the Bibles and then, or we'll start the liturgy and then your parents will present the Bibles to you. We'll let you know when you're supposed to do that. Friends, receive the, receive the word of God Learn its stories and study its words. Its stories belong to us all, and these words speak to us all. They tell us who we are. They tell us that we belong to one another, for we are the people of God. So parents, if you would, hand these Bibles to your children. We think it's important that the church gives you your Bibles, but we also think it is important that your pick up here there's going to be some words for the kids to read, for our children, our third and fourth graders to read. So let's say it together and say it loud so everybody can hear. We, we receive, receive these, these Bibles, Bibles with, with our, our hands, hands, our hearts, our hearts and, and our minds. minds. Thank, Thank you. you. We, we will read, read and study, study the Bible, Bible together. together. There's one more slide. There we go. And congregation, it's also important in the life of our church, it's not just the parents' responsibilities, it's not just the responsibilities of the pastors or the Sunday school teachers, it's also your responsibility. I hope that you remember when several of these children were baptized that you took a responsibility, you took a vow to help build them up in the life of Jesus Christ. And so we ask you to join together in committing to, uh, to these children. We rejoice, rejoice in this, in this step, step in your journey, journey with, with God. God. We, we pray, pray God will guide you, your family, and us as you use this Holy Bible in your home, in your church school classes, and in our worship. We will learn together and grow in our love for God's Word. All right, children, if you'll turn back around one more time, this is the last thing you got to read. The word, word of God, God is, is a lamp, lamp to, to our feet, feet and, and a light, light to our path. path. 
Thanks be to God. Let's celebrate with these kids. Y'all can return to your seats. As they return to their seats, I'll let you know that tonight we're going to be coming back. Um, these children and their parents will join us tonight uh, for a Bible blitz. We are going to go through their new Bibles and learn how to use it. So be in prayer for them as, um, as they learn how to utilize this Bible that will help them in their faith. This morning we now have an opportunity to go to God in prayer, to lift our joys and our concerns to God I do want to highlight a few quick prayer requests that we have um, that we're asking you to pray for. We want to pray for Irma Henson and the family in the death of her husband, Eddie Henson. And also, as we remembered yesterday, the attacks of 9-11, we are praying for peace and for comfort. Let's go to God in prayer. On September 11th, 2001, the course of American history was suddenly changed. We remember the chaos and the confusion, the destruction and the heartbreak, the shock of 3,000 lives lost in a single day. But we also remember the great resolve of everyday people, the acts of heroism that brought us together, the men and women who stood in the gap, somehow still fighting, giving every ounce of strength to help others. Decades have passed since that historic day, and in that time, we have learned that despite all the suffering and loss, our God remains faithful. Even when smoke and debris obscure our paths, His unfailing love will carry us through. As we remember those who were lost, let us honor their memory with our lives, giving our own strength to help the hurting, making sacrifices for those around us, and sharing the faith which brings eternal hope and peace. This is our promise and our prayer for 9-11. Let's go to God in prayer. Almighty God, we come before you this morning to lift your name high and to worship you. God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to be together to come together as friends, as family, as neighbors, as strangers, and to glorify you. God, I pray that this worship would do just that, that this worship this morning would glorify you, that as we go out into the world, we would take what we've learned and we would show others your light. We would shine a light in the darkness. God, we know there is so much darkness around us. God, we know that there is so much need around us. God, forgive us for the times that we have contributed to that darkness. Forgive us and show us the way to the light. Show us the way to be people of your kingdom. 
God, I pray this morning that you would unite us in faith. Despite the many differences we might have, Lord, bring us together to be one people for one purpose, and that purpose be you. God, let us be a part of your hope in this hurting world. Let us be a part of offering peace in the midst of chaos. Let us be a part of offering hope in the midst of loss, healing in the midst of health crises. God, where we see anxiety and fear, God, let us offer your peace and your calmness. God, I pray that we would be an instrument that is used by you so that others might see your dear love for each of us. Almighty God, we pray all of these things now together and in your holy name. And we now join together in the prayer that your son taught us. It will be done. And we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we remember that bright September morn 20 years ago, where we experienced so much loss, one thing that occurs to me is that as those towers fell, it seemed as well that all the distinctions that we make among ourselves as Americans, that all those distinctions also fell away, the distinctions that we make among ourselves. And our scripture comes to us from James chapter 2, the first 10 verses, and then skipping over to verses 14 through 17. Hear now God's word to us this day. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith, and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin 
and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, if it has no works, is dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One Sunday morning, our son Dakin entered a large Buckhead Church. Now, it's easily the fanciest United Methodist Church in Georgia with a soaring cathedral, you know, marble, flo- marble floors, and a priceless pipe organ. A lot of rich people go to this church because, frankly, only rich people can live in its neighborhood. Well, Dakin was a college student at that time, and he was beginning his tenure as their worship leader for their church's new contemporary worship service. This traditional church had held out as long as it possibly could, and now it was finally having to give in and have a contemporary service to try to reach a younger generation. Well, Dakin had recruited his friends from his secular band to fill out the praise band at the church. So one by one, these 20-somethings, wearing tight jeans and street shoes and sporting untucked shirts and looking very much like they didn't know there was a barber or a dry cleaner in the city of Atlanta, well, they entered the building. And I'm sure that to that upper crust congregation, they looked more like street people than they did the newest staff members. Well, as each band member came through the doors, they were approached by an usher or a member of the security team and asked, can I help you? Are you looking for something? Later, Dakin laughed about it because he said the guys in the band got the distinct feeling that the question was not asked out of a heart of hospitality, but out of a concern that they didn't look like they belonged there. Now, I have no doubt that this church, with its wealth and location and generosity, provides immense support to the poor and the homeless of Atlanta. There is, though, a huge difference between giving to the poor out of our abundance and warmly welcoming them into the community of faith as people made in the image of God and for whom Jesus died. You know, our human sinful nature is to make distinctions among people. We, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that we make such distinctions all the time. We do it every day if not by our outward actions, certainly by our inward thoughts. We treat people differently based on 
race, gender, age, education, uh, marital status, language, lifestyle. That's just to name a few. And, and these such distinctions, you know, they get a lot of press these days, right? Because of the injustices that result from these biases. What we don't talk about as much, especially in the church, is the distinction we make between people based on their material wealth. Such distinctions have been a problem for the church from its earliest days. With the rich, he said it's not only bad manners, it's outright sinful. A case in point of dead faith because it is bereft of the good that flows from a genuine faith in Christ. James argues his point through a series of questions posed to his Jewish Christian readers. The first and overarching question being, My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Ouch! Charity of the people's faith. He then offers a hypothetical situation which likely describes an actual situation he witnessed when the community gathered for worship. For if a person with gold wings and in five clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the other who is poor you say, stand there. Or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves? Now, we're sophisticated people, right? If I do say so myself. We're, we're sophisticated. We, we wouldn't be so blatantly prejudiced as to offer someone standing room only seating much less tell them to sit at our feet. After all, there's always plenty of seats to be had in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. It's not unheard of, however, in the church for someone to ask a guest, say, to move from where they are sitting, because why? You're sitting in my seat. <laughs> or for a person who is of another class to be kept at arm's length by us not inviting them into our small group or by not giving them an opportunity to serve along with us because they are viewed as one who needs to be on the receiving end, not the giving. James then asks another question to underscore the absurdity of such behavior has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Contrary to what prosperity preachers will tell you, God does not favor the wealthy. Say that with me. God does not favor the wealthy. God actually favors the poor. 
Jesus himself told us as much, blessed are you who poor for yours is the kingdom of God, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. In liberation theology, this is called God's preferential treatment of the poor. This doesn't sound much like good news if we consider ourselves rich, which frankly, we all are. Not necessarily because we live in Forsyth, affluent Forsyth and North Fulton counties, or because we are in a high tax bracket, but because we are wealthier than 95%, if not more, of the world. Because we have a place to live, a car to drive, food on the table, and money in the bank. Our knee-jerk reaction might be to protest the preferential option of the poor in God's kingdom with our own questions. Can we help it if we were born with a silver spoon in our mouth? I remember when my brother was a teenager, he was having an argument with my mother, and my mother accused him of being spoiled. And my brother said, well, I didn't spoil me rotten. Yeah, that didn't go over to us. <laughs> Is it our fault? We're so blessed. Why, why should we be excluded from the kingdom for receiving the hard-won rewards of our years of hard work? Isn't God's grace available to all? After all, the scripture doesn't say, for God so loved the poor that he gave his only son. No, it says, for God so loved the world. Mark tells us Jesus did not show partiality. And in Romans, Paul writes, God does not show partiality. So is the scripture contradicting itself? James doesn't delve into a theological argument. He's not concerned with explaining everything behind his theology. What he's concerned with is our ethical behavior. He simply calls to attention the situation, and he points to the irony of it. By church members showing favoritism to the rich, they are actually honoring the very people that were is. It not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You know, it occurs to me that tooth and nail to keep a rich church, but show the poor churches the door. So, what's the remedy? What's the remedy for favoritism in the church? It is to keep the second part of the great commandment. The first of, of the command is what? To love God, right? And the second half is for us to what? Love our neighbor as ourselves. James calls this 
the royal law. There's, it's not called this anywhere else in the scripture, but here. And it's called royal because it has to do with the way the kingdom works and, and because it's of supreme importance. When we break the royal law by showing favoritism to the well-to-do over those of lesser means, it is a sin that, according to James, will bring the weight of the whole law down on our heads. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Jesus said, the poor you always have with you. Though we don't always you know, see our poor neighbors, we know that they are all around us. We know this not because they necessarily live next door to us in our nice subdivision, but because we know Meals by Grace is distributing food to hundreds of our food insecure neighbors every Sunday out of this building. It's one thing to give to the poor, to provide for them out of our abundance, but quite another to be in authentic relationship with someone of a different social status. The first is easy, I would say, even though I don't see our crate filling up at breakneck speed back there. It really is easy. It calls us to grow beyond the stereotypes of our culture and the ways of the world and to see people who are different from us as equals. No better than us if we are to believe James about God's preferences. I have a friend who grew up in a home with an abundance of love and laughter, but little in terms of material wealth. She says that she never thought of herself as poor, though, because they had a garden, so they always had enough to eat, and because they lived according to their means and never on credit. I asked her what she observes in terms of the church's treatment of the poor in her own community. And she said that on the occasion when someone of a different class does come to the Methodist church, you know by and large Methodists are on, at a higher class level than a lot of other Protestants. Do you know the ranking? Catholic, Episcopal, Methodist, Baptist, you get the idea, right? But she said on the rare occasion that someone does come to church on a Sunday, when the service is over, no one speaks to them. They don't invite them out to have lunch with them or call them during the week and invite their children over for a play date at their home. In other words, she said, the relationships are superficial not the authentic relationships that should exist among brothers and sisters in Christ. Mary Glover lived 
in Pastor Jim Wallace's neighborhood and helped distribute food in the ministry's weekly food pantry. Mary was so materially poor that she herself needed to take home a bag of groceries each week. Yet Mary was also a leader in that ministry. She often said it's prayer before they opened their doors on a Saturday morning. She was, after all, the ministry's best prayer. She was one of those people, said Wallace, who pray like they know whom they're talking to. She would begin by praying something like, Thank you, Lord, for waking us up this morning. Thank you, Lord, that our walls were not our grave and that our bed was not our cooling board. Thank you, Lord. However, Mary also prayed in a way that showed God had shown her what was at stake in Christian's treatment of people who are materially poor. She always prayed, Lord, we know that you'll be coming through this line today. So, Lord, help us to treat you right. One Sunday morning, a new couple came here to Midway for worship. You know, we're pretty casual in our dress, right? But this couple was even more casual still. Their clothes were wrinkled, and they also wore tired faces, you know, like they had just come in off the street. I have to say that it warmed this pastor's heart to see how you treated these folks, how you greeted them and spoke with them after worship, treating them as you do one another. The next day, I was, when I was leaving the church in the evening, I saw a car in the parking lot. And when I approached it, I saw this couple was in the car. It turns out they were homeless. And the woman was pregnant. And so the man asked me, we were wondering if we could park here overnight so we don't raise the suspicion of the police. You know, it's hard to find a place where they won't come and tell you to move on. Of course, I said, yes, we have plenty of parking, <laughs> even on a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, so... I said, of course you can, you know, stay overnight. Here's my card. If the police come, give, tell them to give, call me. I offered to let the wife, because she was pregnant, go to the bathroom before I left because I've been pregnant, <laughs> and gave them what food we had available. Well, they slept another couple of nights in the parking lot because the man had come here to take a job at an auto shop. A couple days later, when the first light men's Bible study came in the morning, they saw them in the parking lot too. And they did as I had done. They greeted them, they had conversation, and they provided what they could. Well, several weeks passed, and then one Sunday... 
I was greeted following worship in the welcome center by the husband. He looked excited. He had something that he wanted to share with me. And he said, I just had to come back. I, I had to come back and tell you that we have our own place now. I'm working again. And I just had to come back and thank you Thank your people for how they treated us and loved us. It meant everything to us. And we come here to church ourselves, but our, our new place is far from here. But I just wanted you to know how much we appreciate what y'all did for us. You know, in 30 years of ministry, I'm hard-pressed to remember someone coming back to the church to thank the church for their help. What was it that led this man to do that? I suspect that it was because we treated the couple as we would want to be treated. We followed the royal rule, showing through our actions that they were as deserving a place at the table as much as we, perhaps even more. Faith, if it has no works, is dead, James concludes. In other words, the way we love or don't love those whom the world despises will reveal the authenticity of our faith, whether it is living and active and breathing or dead and corpse-like. There is service to the poor that keeps them at arm's length. There is another kind of service that welcomes them and treats them as we ourselves would want to be treated. You know, when we host families or family promise overnight, we make no distinctions, no judgments about how they got into the fix they're in. We are not here to judge them, nor to try to fix them, nor to give to them from a lofty perch of superiority. We are here, my brothers and sisters, to be with them, to love them as we would want to be loved if we were in their shoes. In his book, A Nazareth Manifesto, Sam Wells challenges us to combat our natural inclination towards favoritism of the rich by looking for Jesus in our neighbor in need. Continues says Wells, to see the face of Jesus in the despised and rejected of the world. You are not their benefactor. You are not the answer to their prayer. They are the answer to yours. For you are searching for a salvation that only they can bring. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, 
and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. An opportunity to go to God and to respond to the word by giving to the ministry of Christ through Midway United Methodist Church. You'll notice that both of the doors, both of the exits, uh, they're offering plates. If you'd like to write a check, you can also give online. Let's offer God our hearts, our minds, and our souls. serve your name.
You've been listening to the Meeting Midway podcast from Midway United Methodist Church. The doors to our community are open to all, and we invite guests to join us at our services on Sunday. We have a traditional worship service at 8.30 a.m. in our historic chapel, an acoustic worship service at 9.45 a.m. in our historic chapel, and a contemporary service at 11 a.m. in our modern sanctuary. For more information, check us out online at midwayumc.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.